0: suckers going up. Welcome to the Playing Footsie Show, I'm Steve W. Steve D's with me this week and Paul is not, but we've got loads of stuff on earnings basically. We're pretty much in the middle of earnings season and I think we're probably just uh, approaching I guess the halfway stage in terms of chronology and probably just over the halfway stage in terms of the stocks that really kind of make the big headlines and the ones that we're interested in and talk about quite a lot and tend to own in our own portfolios I guess um so more on that in a little bit we've got some quick news and then we've got some slightly slower news pretty much all of it to do with earnings but how are you steve uh i am quite well um which is
1: strange considering i am uh currently in the middle of my second bout with covid um maybe i think i can hear it in my nose and maybe in my voice there's a slight sort of coldish kind of ring to my voice but uh yeah it's been a pretty this one's not been as fun as the last one um this has just been like having a sore throat um but in terms of the stock portfolio it's been a bit of an odd week i think it's been a bit up and down um uh, some stocks i thought would do okay have turned out doing pretty pretty poorly there was there was the, the big tech that I was quite worried about they, they tend to have done okay uh it's all uh sort of wound up in the portfolio been up a couple of percent um steve how about you
0: yeah, going okay. I've actually had. This is Friday that we're recording this, by the way. I've had uh, quite a nice day today in terms of stuff going up in my portfolio as well. I I caught a little bit of a push on Amazon. I mean, it's no, it's no spoiler to say that stock went up after its earnings, right? I take it nearly everyone listening to our podcast will know that. Uh, I assume it did nice things for your portfolio, Steve. Absolutely. Yeah, I think it's up twelve percent at one point today, which is
1: uh, which mm-hmm. is about how much I was down when you sub the FX off.
0: It's true, yeah, um, and big part of my portfolio, and relative to other things as well. So uh, I also know that Paul owns some too. So presumably he got a nice kind of push from his. Um, uh, he's had a few stocks that have done well this week, actually. And they, they, I guess, they've been kicking his portfolio along. He'll tell us about that next week, I'm sure. Uh, interesting week here. It's been a sort of tricky time for uh, the Litland. He's had. A, he's been working on feeding uh, in various different ways, and he's had a tongue tie, which I think quite a lot of babies do. They've had that cut and I was sort of reading trying to read about what that procedure involved on the NHS website and they said it's apparently painless for for very small babies because there are no nerves in the bit underneath their tongue Uh, When we went to have that done, it is absolutely not painless um, based on his uh, immediate reaction. And to be honest, Mm. it doesn't much surprise me. The idea of someone cutting under your tongue with no anesthetic and some scissors. um, I would be surprised to learn that was a painless procedure. Um, Mm. His reaction struck me as far more what I was expecting than the discovery that this is apparently not a painful procedure.
1: Yeah. Yeah, because nobody would be bringing the kid in uh, if if it said this will cause terrible harm uh, and it will be really painful for them. But yeah, I guess yeah, he it's will one be of those things, either livid amusement.
0: or asleep for the next twenty four <laughs> yeah. hours, uh, and probably understandably, to be honest, you will look at him and yeah. think. I mean, it's the first time he's been crying, and I've not thought. Oh, I wonder what's wrong with you. I wonder whether you need a nappy change. I wonder whether you're hungry. Or like, no, I know exactly what you're cross about. This. Yeah, time, it was the scissors. Don't blame it was you in the scissors. The slightest, to it? be yes. honest with you, yes. yeah. Um, uh, But yeah, someone who's been doing a bit better than him uh, at the moment is, well, uh, Paul for one, but he's had a load of stocks doing well in earnings, and we've got some earnings that we'll get to here. We've got some quick news, and then we've got some slower news. Let's start with some quick news that has nothing to do with earnings, Steve. Because we're a UK uh, show, and because the UK platforms are being a little bit slow at signing up new members in some cases, uh, this is probably relevant to some of our audience more so than it's relevant to us individually. Uh, but free trade uh, sent an email around this week. I have an account with them, even though it has no money in it. Long story there, uh, but they they say I'll be unaffected by this. But they're bringing in a kind of new tier of, um, I, I guess, account service. They still have their kind of basics uh, thing, which has about 1,500 or so securities, slightly more than that. You can't have your ISA with them, but that one is at least free, so you can you can buy some stocks there, and there's no monthly fee for that. They're now bringing in what they call the standard. Uh, level account which has their full range of stocks 6,000 and something I think uh, you can have your ISA with them but it does cost you about a fiver a month Um, hmm Uh, what do you think here Steve? Uh,
1: So I've been snooping around their community and they can't stop me because uh, they've banned (laughs) me for a thousand years so I'll never sign in Um, but uh, I think this has generally been met quite Poorly. i think this is off the back of them introducing share lending something i seem to remember them saying that they wouldn't do uh but now the basic account the free account essentially has had about another three thousand stocks taken away from its universe um which is quite which is quite sad and and they've got a 4.99 tier and a 9.99 tier which is packed full of things that you know They're not features. Uh, you know, accessing a company's full range of stock isn't a feature. Limit orders and stop losses isn't something somebody should be paying for. Uh getting customer service isn't something somebody should be paying for. Getting analyst ratings isn't something somebody paying for. One of the things is really hilarious: you have to pay £10 a month to get access to the free trade web beta which all of these things are just a nuisance. It's like the, the problem The problem with free traders is that they've not actually invented an original feature in the whole time they've been there. They're like a disruptor that just copies everybody else and puts it behind a paywall. Um, I, I don't know why they have got such a lack of invention. Um, but I just, I mean, I look at this and I, I said it on Twitter that people must be looking at this and thinking, well, why would I pick this over trading two on two? Absolutely nothing there to... to to differentiate it or make it better than, than, than going for trading 2 on 2. Except to sip, I guess. But then, you know, why isn't you sip with Vanguard or, or anyone else? Why would you pay £10 a month
0: for it? Steve there's a sip Um, so just to update a little bit there's another email that came around from free trade this week he pointed out this was on the back of them introducing share lending which they said one thing to be aware of when you have a brokerage platform is exactly how that brokerage platform makes its money because it has to make money right and you need to be okay with the idea that it's gonna make money somehow that might be by charging you a commission like say Hargreaves Lansdowne does and it might be by lending out your securities like trading 212 does or it might be by charging you a monthly fee uh, like free trade does And I don't have any view on which of those is better or worse. I just have views on which of those I prefer. Um, And you need to be aware of the kind of ups and downs of either of those. So um, Hargreaves Lansdowne is vulnerable to disruption with that kind of model. Free trade, you will end up paying if you don't do anything. Um, Trading 212, the risks that people associate at any rate, rightly or wrongly, with securities lending are fairly well documented. Pick your own uh, choice out of these sorts of things. But... It looks to me like uh, I'm always struggling a little bit with, in fairness across the board, commission-free brokerages. Strictly none of the stuff that Free Trade charges is, I think, a commission. However, if you pay it, uh, or my view tends to be if I have to pay it, and it's a monthly subscription rather than a commission, I don't think it really matters. I'm sort of fairly indifferent as to whether I send out a five quid a month in a subscription, or five quid a month in trading fees, or five quid a month in FX fees or five quid a month in something else. To be honest, if five quid of my money goes from me to them, I'm sort of fairly indifferent as to exactly what mechanism it is that's taking that. Is that bad? Mm.
1: No, that makes that makes sense to me. I think if you're going to charge 9 99 a month for an account, you have to kind of reduce the other commissions that come with it. So I mean, free trades uh, FX fee is about three times that of trading two-on-twos, and when you're paying for the account up front, you kind of hope that that would be... You know somewhat subsidized that that's the idea behind a subscription account the, the the subscriptions tend to be far cheaper than the product would have been to buy and use for a year the subscription uh, it tries to tie you in for you know for for multiple years whereas free trade seems to want uh, you know the upfront cost and the fee as well but yeah i'm not a fan uh steve
0: you don't sound like you're particularly a fan either so I'm not particularly a fan. Um, I've had an account with them because I found out about them before Trading212 and I never bothered closing it and I occasionally collect a free share in it from someone who signs up to them. They were in a situation, and they might still be that situation to be honest, if while Trading212 are not taking new, uh, new accounts, which I think they've stopped again, I would encourage people to use a free trade basic rather than nothing, uh, rather than sitting mm. around in cash or something like that but um, yeah I, I don't tend to be a particularly big fan of this kind of thing but I'm aware a lot of people have free trade accounts pretty much for the reason I just described they wanted a two one two one and two one two were not offering them one uh, so <laughs> I like it. Yeah, I, I wasn't expecting that. I wish I'd planned that. That was... Well, I'm quietly pleased with myself for that one. But anyway, um, quick bit of news out the way. We're only 10 minutes in, so good. Quick news item one is done. Let's talk about earnings. There's been loads of them this week. Uh, some of them have been things like big tech. Uh, Microsoft and Apple have both done very well. Um, or at least they've their stocks have responded pretty well. So on the day, Microsoft's stock was down by 4.5%. It got a little push afterwards. Apple's was mainly flat, and it got a big push afterwards. Um... Revenues for Microsoft came in slightly under what was expected, 51.87 billion versus 52.44. Revenues for Apple were slightly higher than expected, 83 billion versus 82.8. Uh, both of them were up year over year. Uh, EPS at Microsoft was slightly higher, slightly lower than expected, 2.23 versus 2.29, which was a, a raise of two percent year over year. Apple had an earnings miss. Uh, Sorry, I had an earnings beat at $1.20 versus $1.16. That's 8% lower than it was a year ago. Always interesting to look at these stocks. Neither of us owns either of these, Steve, Microsoft or Apple. And I'm not going to put words on you for the time being, but we were chatting beforehand, and I don't think either of us has any imminent plan to own either of them. Uh,
1: no, I, I still think... I, I mean, I've thought for quite a long time that Apple has been quite... Uh, overpriced but it, it does seem to just keep going up and it's one of those stocks that i'm willing to just let that let that pass me by um, microsoft in the same vein i think that's again for something of its size it's quite highly priced but then it surprises you every year by just just how it, it continues to grow both of these stocks we thought would have um, macroeconomic weaknesses attached to them so they, they might be potentially uh, misses from both of them but apple came out strong uh, its guidance was just as strong and they basically said that they don't see any reason uh, why they won't you know continue to grow in the next quarter um microsoft um their cfo came out and was um really positive about guidance too um i saw burry had called it the last hurrah um but uh, i'd it's hard to say, isn't it? I think Amazon's guidance was was great as well. So all of these big techs are doing what big techs uh, did all the way through the pandemic, which is just continue.
0: Yeah. So your point about macroeconomic headwinds speaks to the reason that I'm interested in these stocks, even though I don't own them and don't plan to own them. kind of imminently. We talked a few weeks ago, I think, about the banks being a kind of bellwether for the economy, specifically the U.S. economy. Uh, it's always good to kind of have a look at some of the bigger things in any particular sector to give you a feel for what kind of things are moving moving markets or moving businesses, sorry, uh, along there. Microsoft and Apple are two good ones to have a look at, both in terms of uh, tech in general and in terms of, in Microsoft's case, business stuff and in Apple's case, kind of consumer-based uh, stuff. Microsoft is, uh, to your point, I think the company that I feel kind of, The exception proves the rule uh, a little bit. Microsoft is an old company and it ought to behave like an old company. It ought to have a massive dividend, nearly no growth of any sort, um, and just be quietly winding itself down, being a nice cash distributing machine. And actually it's in growth mode uh, still. It's reinvented itself. um, It's busy acquiring Activision Blizzard. uh, It's Azure stuff is growing and growing and growing, and it's kind of managed to sort of have another lease of life. And generally speaking, this is a kind of as what the Damodaran point, I'm not taking credit or blame for this, probably credit because it's a good point. Um, this doesn't work well for companies when they try to do this. When old companies start trying to act like young companies, or the other way around for what it's worth, it tends to be sort of bad news for them. If you have a company that's too young and hasn't set itself up, and it starts distributing out all of its cash, that story generally ends quite badly. If you have old companies that keep pursuing growth when growth opportunities are not really there at your kind of size and in your kind of sphere, that doesn't usually end very well. Um, But Microsoft is kind of the the one that defies that kind of trend. I guess it inspires everyone else and makes them think, well, maybe we can be young again like Microsoft, right?
1: you've got to remember that Microsoft had a period where it was looking like an old hat business back in the early 2000s. Um, mm. It had a point where its growth had slowed. Um, I think Gates had lost interest and Balmer had come in and uh, <laughs> and done his thing. And then, um, you know, they, they got Satya Nadella in and he just reignited growth at the company. And they've not looked back from that period, have they? I mean, the, the period under... Um, under Satya Nadella has been has been an incredible run for the company from you know from a big company to and it's just an absolutely massive company. I think it's still is it still the biggest company by market cap or has Apple taken that back?
0: I thought Apple had taken that back. It has changed hands a few times now, uh, and I remember it being so, on one of your quizzes. Not uh, well, actually, quite a while ago now. Uh, largest company on the Nasdaq. The correct answer was Apple, uh, but I think it might still be Apple again. Now I'm not sure about that though. Yeah, so I mean that that's
1: that's key for. Um, for Microsoft is that it's kind of hard to think about them as an old hat business, but for maybe the last 10 years, they've been growing at such a rapid pace. Uh, all they're kind of doing now is supplementing growth by adding extra arms and legs onto the business. So um, Activision is one that they've added on, but you can also remember uh, last year, it was Nuance as well that they added mm. on, which was um, 10 billion. And, and we learned um, last week of the, get the company that they acquired Xander from AT&T. Um, or, it called or from Xander? Ridge... Zander, yes, Paul. Um, from, <laughs> uh, so that's another company that they've added on, which is ma- now that's marketing. There's health communications, and there's um, further leaning into video games. They're all new tendrils for Microsoft to grow on. Um, Apple, on the other hand, is tends to buy companies when they're very, very small and, and grow them out, and tends to nurture them. Um, uh, who knows what's coming from them? This hints of an Apple car. If an Apple car comes, you've seen the revenues that those kind of companies can do. Uh, that would add a hell of a load of revenue to Apple. That reignites uh, That reignites growth. I think we're talking about a company that's doing, is, is that Apple doing about 80 billion in revenue? Yep. Um, so this, <laughs> it's not a small company. I mean, when we when we say, oh, they missed by a billion, and you think, wow, that sounds like a lot. But when you're doing 80 billion, missing by one isn't, that's not a massive miss, is it? Um,
0: it's not a massive miss. So,
1: yeah, big companies, they could grow, they could not. I wouldn't put my money there, but I can see why the people do, I think.
0: Yeah, I would if the price were right. And uh, I can't complain about people buying big companies, right, when I own shares in Alphabet and Meta and Amazon and so on. Size isn't, you know, uh, the real thing kind of stopping me there. Okay, what have you been looking at, Steve, in your quick earnings? Uh, so I my, my first two I looked at was Visa and MasterCard. Um,
1: mm. uh, they, they reported earlier in the week. Uh, they were very, very impressive um, earnings. Uh, I'll start with Visa. So they did $7.3 billion in revenue, up just 19%. Uh, net income was at three point four billion, uh, up thirty two percent. That's a forty seven percent net income margin. That was up four hundred eighty eight basis points. They generated five billion in free cash flow, sixty nine percent free cash flow margin. Uh, payments volume was up twelve percent to two point nine trillion. They were guiding for between fifteen and twenty percent revenue growth. Uh, this is a monster, Steve. Um, Mastercard they were uh, they beat on revenue so consensus was 5.2 billion they did nearly 5.5 uh operating income uh, they were looking for just under 3 billion they did nearly 3.2 operating margin they were looking for 55.6 they did 58 Gross dollar volume for them—they were looking for two point five two trillion, and they did two point five two point zero five four trillion. So that was another beat, but only slightly. Uh, Both of these companies reporting uh, big, big jumps in payment volumes, which is not something you would commonly uh, associate with with an impending recession. But inflation is around that kind of figure—a twelve percent growth uh, for quite a few items that I suppose you would be paying with your Visa and your Mastercard. But very impressive businesses, Steve. Own either of these? I own neither of them. No, I owned MasterCard for quite a while and I'm still sort of sat there thinking, why on F did I sell this and why did I sell it to buy a Visa?
0: Paul owns Visa, I think. Um, um, I owned I thought... MasterCard a little while ago. <laughs> I, while you were saying that, I was just working my way through the cards in my uh, card holder that I use to pay for things and I have here four MasterCards, although it's arguably some double counting because two of them are Monzo ones. One's a joint account, so... Uh, three or four you choose um mastercards one visa and one amex but the point i'm kind of making here is that i was saying before if you want to know what's going on with big tech go have a look at microsoft and apple um if you want to know what's going on with consumer spending have a look at visa and mastercard because basically especially now since kind of uh during or post covid kind of world They have their hand on basically everything that's flowing through stuff. Uh, They will know whether there's more money flowing through, less money flowing through. You get the general idea. If you want to have a look at how consumer spending is going and use that to inform your view about other um, things you might buy. Or just buy these if you want. But the thought is that there's information there that is useful to you more than just about Visa and MasterCard. It's tempting to look at these as I often do well, I haven't recently and think... Gosh, those are great businesses, but they're kind of expensive. Um, there, I would be surprised if they're not both around sort of thirty-ish times earnings or so, which is not cheap. Um, and then kind of give up on that a little bit. But there are there is definitely stuff to be had from looking at these guys from an earnings perspective, even if you don't own the stock and don't anticipate owning them. Like, uh, like I sort of don't at the moment. Steve, I get the impression you're currently looking up the PE, and you're now going to tell me it's twenty-four.
1: Uh, no, I thought it was more than that. To be honest, it's uh, the PE of Visa is actually 35. But when you sat looking at that sort of free cash flow conversion, 69% margin of free cash flow is, uh, you know, that that's a business that you want to be paying a premium, and you've really got to look and think to yourself. And like most companies have free cash flow conversion below 20, and they're mm. at nearly 70. So is a 35 PE too expensive? That's that's the question you've got to answer yourself. But I mean these are these are premium businesses and I think I think the problem with them during the pandemic was the rise of crypto and it felt like an unstoppable force that could potentially disrupt these businesses. And since there's been that massive fall back in sort of the popular the popularity of crypto, I think a lot of people have been burnt by it. Visa and MasterCard look really, really strong again. And anybody who picked these up at Covid lows and has held them on, I think you've got a fantastic stock there.
0: Yeah, so um, Buffett said in an interview at some point, you can see how carefully I reference these things when they just occurred to me, uh, that basically he's made his kind of money by betting against disruption, which isn't to say short in Kathy Wood stocks, it's to say thinking that actually the time it takes for things like Visa, like MasterCard, Uh, and in general like rails uh, and so on and so forth to be disrupted will be longer than you think and there will be plenty of money coming out of those things because everyone's interested in the new shiny thing and there are times when those stocks really really boom like they did during COVID and so on when the world looked like a really violently different place uh, Hmm. and some things were looking like they were basically dead. Buffett's general idea is that well look the pace of change is usually slower than you think uh, and sometimes that creates kind of opportunities in things that people are expecting to be disrupted and thinking, oh, it's basically the end of the road for this company. Visa and MasterCard is not without challenge, by any means. Um, But those are the kind of things where you might think, yeah, are they really being disrupted at the rate that they once thought they were? Turns out they're kind of resilient. And actually, I think both yours and my thought on MasterCard at some point was, I just looked through my kind of wallet here, and I'm with quite a few challenger banks and so on. They're probably a little bit perhaps more... Um, cooperative, I guess, with new trends Hmm. and quote-unquote disruption uh, than Visa are.
1: Yeah, that's the idea. So in the UK, uh, MasterCard were very cooperative with the fintech banks, which is probably why you've got a few of them in your your wallet. Um, Chase as well Mm -hmm. went with uh, MasterCard when they came over. I think MasterCard is... They just have the better tools for startup banks i think they're a little bit more sort of tech focused where um uh, and uh, ready to integrate and help out with these these small banks whereas visa i mean you can see they're almost double the size in terms of payment volume probably think that these smaller banks aren't going to make too much of a dent uh, we'll let mastercard keep busy doing that and, and we'll just chase the big customers
0: mm, so yeah mastercard and visa are a couple of interesting ones to keep an eye on for reasons not necessarily to do with a company that's why we kind of follow these for earnings purposes here's a couple more that I'm interested in uh these don't really tell me anything about broader economic trends but I like these because they're both terrible earnings and they're both things that I think in recent times people have said absolutely ridiculous things about uh so this is what I think about them this next pair is Intel and Teladoc um so Neither of these had very good earnings reports. Intel uh, fell 8% on the news. It was down on the day. Teladoc was up on the day by about 7% and then fell back about 24%. Uh, so in the case of Intel, it posted $15.32 billion in revenue, which was a miss aiming at seventeen, just under 18, basically, uh, and 22% lower than last year. $0.29 cents in earnings as supposed to... Uh, what was supposed to be? $0.70 cents in earnings. So it was quite a big miss and down 76% from last year. Uh, Teladoc, $592 million in revenue is higher uh, than anticipated, and 18% higher than last year. Then posted a $0.44 cent loss compared to a $0.64 cent loss anticipated, which was of course, lower uh, than last year. Lots going on with these two. Here's the reason I like them, um, uh, and I like to look at them, because I'm still very much at a kind of early stage in my investing and thinking about businesses. And I think what I'm reminded of here is that for any stock you like, and it can be Intel, or it can be Teladoc, or it can be Apple, or it can be Mercado, Libra or it can be whatever. If you take someone who idiotically says it's going up, and someone who idiotically says it's going down, one of them is going to be right, and that doesn't make them clever uh, in either particular way. So I've heard over the last year or so, and perhaps a little bit more than that, various ridiculous reasons for thinking that Intel is going to be great, various ridiculous reasons for thinking Intel is going to be terrible, Various ridiculous reasons for thinking that Teladoc is going to be amazing and various absurd reasons for thinking it's a disaster. Um, And I get the impression that what I'm sort of seeing at the moment is a little bit of self-selecting out uh, in this market. So the people who said, see, they're terrible on both sides, even if they're completely wrong about the reasons why in some cases these things have done really, really badly uh, at the business level. Uh, All of a sudden, they're feeling incredibly pleased with themselves. Um, And uh, the Intel story in particular is one that kind of catches my eye. That's not to say there aren't people with very good and very interesting and very important things to say about these things. But um, I am reminded of the idea here of, look, if you take the up and I take the down, one of us is going to be right next week uh, when we come Mm. back to check out this stock. And it doesn't really matter what stock we take, basically. If I say long everything and you say short everything, you're going to be right sometimes and I'm going to be right sometimes. And it doesn't mean any of us had any insight into anything whatsoever. Uh, Your thoughts here, Steve? Either of these? Uh,
1: Yeah, so I've listened to the uh, Teledoc endings call. I always listen to the Teledoc endings call. I think it's um, an interesting kind of call. Um, They do give some pretty good insights into just really how, the, how um, the employment figures are looking, really. A TDoc needs a strong uh, job economy, uh, especially at Big Tech, because they're the kinds of companies that will uh, that will employ a TDoc services. Um, I didn't think it was the worst report in the world. The stuff that I wanted to see was looked okay to me. There was a there was a beat on consensus on revenues, a beat on consensus on gross profit, a beat on uh, consensus on gross margin, a beat on adjusted EBITDA. Um, you know it looked okay to me the the issue i had with it was the same issue that we had last time there was that huge write down um of livongo which just sort of reaffirmed to everybody that uh, tdoc is uh has been a particularly bad acquirer recently uh and i think that's the vast majority of the reason that it went down plus its guidance uh it did reaffirm its guidance but uh it said that we're going to be on the very low end of it so um I worry about Teladoc because I think it's a fair-weather economy stock. I wonder that the uh, amount of layoffs we're seeing at the moment is only going to accelerate. And if layoffs accelerate, then I can't see how Teladoc gets anywhere near its guidance. Intel uh, was was a shit show. I I, I just did not expect (laughs) it to be anything like this. I mean, just pulling up its consensus... It missed on revenue by 15%. It missed on data center by 24%. It missed on client computing by 12.5%. It beat on eye by 11%, but they want to bin that off. It missed on gross profit by 25.1%. It missed on operating income, Steve, by nearly 60%. So I, the minute I saw this, I thought, well, how come they haven't told anybody this was going to happen? Do you know what I mean? Like when your results are this bad, they have a right, a duty to tell the shareholder that... Uh, you know, our results are going to be a little bit soft. And, and this is why. So I thought, right, I'm listening to the earnings call because somebody will bring that up. And to my surprise, Bank of America, analyst and director Vivek Ario, Ario, uh, he said, why didn't Intel feel like pre-announcing such a huge miss to their shareholders, particularly in the data center catalog to which Pat Gelsinger talked for five minutes about how Intel had been helping customers with their inventory, uh, <laughs> then and another member of the staff talked for five minutes about inventory, and then they passed back to Vivek, who was about to ask, that hasn't answered my question. could you please answer the question?" And they cut him off and moved on to the next person. It was mm. absolutely awful and and Intel to me is uninvestable at, 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 at these rates.
0: Um, this, this looks dreadful. Interesting. Um, So, thoughts on both of these two then, I guess, in my case. So, Teladoc, um, you mentioned you didn't think it was the worst earnings report in the world. I was going to ask you, do you think it's the second worst behind Intel? Uh, Because I didn't think it was that good either. Uh, They are busy doing what they did last uh, quarter. Last quarter, their stock got hammered by about, I haven't looked at the exact number up here, 40-ish percent after earnings because they had a massive goodwill impairment. On their acquisition of Levongo, they had another goodwill impairment uh, of about half the size of the previous one. I think they wrote down about six billion before and three billion this time. That's I right, could yeah. be right about that. Seven yeah. and three, I think it was. Seven and three, sorry. So just under half in that case. And their stock took another uh, whack for about twenty something percent. I was watching Brian Stoffel, uh, who of Brian and Brian uh, fame, his video on this said. He very much views this as not a real loss. That's up for debate, uh, I think, in a certain kind of way. So what's happened is they bought Lavongo for a certain amount. Lavongo only has a certain amount of value on its balance sheet, so the difference between what they paid for it and what Lavongo has in terms of assets becomes written on Teladoc's balance sheet as what's called goodwill. Uh, and if the transaction turns out to be kind of worth the amount they paid for it, that goodwill stays there, and as it gradually proves to be that they okay, case so they overpaid, it gets written down. So what this is in... Uh, I think, fairly objective terms. I'm always wary of people using the word objective and then offering their view on stuff. But I think objectively what it is, is a way of saying that the Livongo thing has not turned out to provide the value to match the price that they paid for it. So what it is, is an admission that a lot of money went out of the business that realistically hasn't worked um, uh, up till now. But it's not the case that any money has gone out of the business this quarter on the basis of that Levongo uh, deal, for what it's worth. So, if you were uh, someone who was buying Teladoc because you thought it was trading at just under its book value, uh, even though a lot of that book value is goodwill, bad news for you, uh, a lot of that book value just disappeared. If you're the kind of person who thought, this is going to generate all kinds of cash for me in the future, uh, maybe less or less good news for you. Uh, it depends a little bit. There might be other things to worry about on that side for what it's worth. They have two kind of growth vectors here, which are... Their kind of mental health stuff and their kind of chronic care stuff and they're now starting to talk about other companies which they don't even think are profitable coming in and trying to muscle in on their territory and that's a worry uh, because unprofitable competitors just ruin the market for everybody uh mostly amazon does it to other people but if that's happening to your company bad sign but the I mean, goodwill stuff lump by is much of a worry yeah <laughs> you,
1: you could lump amazon in with the unprofitable growth companies couldn't you
0: yeah Damodaran said he doesn't know what kind of, uh, I feel like I'm quoting Damodaran a lot today, but he said he doesn't know what kind of business Amazon is, but he thinks it might be basically just a disruption platform, uh, where they don't really make any money at all doing anything, but what they do is show up and stop anybody else making any money in that space either. Uh, So an online retail is a good example here. And he says, look, basically, if you run a business, go to bed every night and pray to God Amazon doesn't show up with their version of something on your turf, because they might not make much money from it, but you sure as hell won't either. Um, and that's kind of what you need to worry about here. If you're Teladoc, I think, uh, you need to worry about not so much, Oh, I not this competition going to make any money. Question is Are we going to make any damn money.
1: Yeah. And that's, that's key. Isn't it? The thing is that I was, I mean, we've said before on this podcast, that so just because you think you've found a hot sector doesn't necessarily mean that any of the companies in there will prove to be the ones that uh, actually dominate that sector. And uh, there could be other companies that come along and do it in the future. Um, Teladoc have got a point with these VC-backed companies coming in and stealing stealing the dinner. The point I would say to that is in a downturn where people don't want as much health insurance, the VC companies aren't going to be lending to these health platforms. So the likelihood is that um, um, these VC companies will eventually go away or be acquired or merge or become part of something else. Um, the issue with that is that in a downturn Teladoc is just as exposed because um, it, it's it 's got about eight hundred million in cash. It could quite quickly burn through that if it 's not getting the revenue and the uh, and what have you through the door um, it could just be it could just be a dodgy sector which leads you to think well this needs a company behind it if if tele if they 're not in fair weather economy this needs a company behind it who are going to bankroll it and and I look at these health companies these united health and things like that and just think god at 6 billion teladoc is doing what 2 billion in revenue and somewhere like united health could just shuffle their whole user base onto it and and then they could extract so much value from it. I I wonder how closely they're looking at this. Teledoc constantly falling in price now, and I also wonder how much of it is constantly falling in price just because people absolutely hate Kathy Wood. Like the minute Teledoc goes down, the amount of people who are not saying, "Oh, poor Teledoc," they're going, "Yeah, take that Kathy." Do you know what I mean? <laughs> like people like seem to properly hate her. I mean, you see it on the Discord as much as anything, but. I don't know. I don't know what to do with Teladoc. It's a strange old stock. I've done my Sermon on the Mountain enough times. I don't feel like we mm. need to go over its its uh it's it's good points. I think it's got plenty of good points. It's just uh it's just a tricky time to be a Teladoc shareholder, I think.
0: It is, yeah, I need to think about whether that Money you have tied up in Teladoc could be used more efficiently elsewhere. I mean, the answer is almost certainly yes. The question is whether you can work out where it can be used more efficiently Mm. elsewhere. I mean, to say the answer is no is to say it's the best stock on the market right now, which is almost certainly false just statistically. uh, Because uh, Intel, by the way, uh, just on that one quickly, this fascinates me, Intel. There was a time a couple of years ago where it was beloved by a certain type of investor who we'll call me uh, because it had really strong cash flows and traded at a really low valuation. Um, and okay, it was kind of boring, but it bought back some stock and it did some stuff. And I think Sven is fond of it for this reason, for what it's worth. And everybody said uh, about who likes Intel, Oh, but look at AMD, it has a massive PE, it doesn't make any money. Um, uh, and everyone else said sort of, ah, oh, but growth, 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 so on and so forth. Um, and now the tables have kind of turned somewhat, because Intel, as you can see, is making nearly no money. It's posted negative free cash flow for the year, so there goes that kind of dividend buyback story uh, for the time being. It doesn't have strong cash flows anymore. It trades, um, it's guiding, sorry, for $2.30 in EPS. That implies a forward PE of about 17, which is not massively cheap. But now all of a sudden, all the Intel shareholders that I'm speaking to are saying, oh, but growth and so on. Uh, and look at all the stuff that we'll do in the future. The story seems to have very much switched itself around. And it seems to somehow be still attracting the same kind of investor who previously said, oh, but I like cash flows and I like money now. Uh, okay, fine. That's a way to think about things. Um, And now all of a sudden they're very happy with the idea of no, no money in three years time. Uh, So I'm sort of bewildered uh, by this a little bit from Intel.
1: It's hopium, isn't it? I think people are looking at Taiwan Semiconductor and thinking, oh, we could be that. But the problem is that Taiwan Semiconductor is already that and it's spending more money than uh, Intel to be better than that so i i can't see people want it especially if intel wants to stay in the actual design part i can't see companies like Nvidia and amd really wanting to ship their designs to intel to get them made especially if they have a product that they think is better than uh, something intel has uh, yeah i'm i mean tsmc are even opening up fabs in america just to try and counter that that intel issue if you think it's a domestic issue uh, you know, TSMC are doing the same thing. So, yeah, from, I mean, we've long thought uh, Intel only looks cheap while it's doing okay. I mean, that that's true of everything, isn't it? And and now it looks. I mean, I'm not pay I would never pay 17 times any for Intel. I think that's uh, that's joke territory. Yeah,
0: it's a strange one. Part of the argument for Intel was always, ah, oh, but it has a bigger kind of R and D or Capex budget than AMD, uh, and that's that's actually a pretty good argument from what I can see of it. Right? If you're able to spend more than your competition, that does give you an advantage. The trouble is that seems to now work the other way around and that TSMC has Intel covered quite easily, I think, in terms of kind of capex that they're spending on this. And look, that's not a decisive advantage. Intel still managed to get absolutely mullered by AMD with a much bigger uh, capex budget than them. But that advantage that they once had is now their disadvantage to try and make up. So um, I don't know. Maybe there comes a point where this stock comes cheap enough. Uh, Chris Hill was positive on it when we spoke to him.
1: Hmm. Um, so Steve you asked me earlier if um if Teledoc was the second worst earnings I saw. <laughs> and uh no, I'm actually gonna give that award to Roku. Okay. Um so here is uh that well, I've written a little line to myself just just in case I forgot. These earnings are bab. That's what I've written at the top of the uh, of my note to myself. <laughs> Um, So just to give you an idea, consensus for revenues was 805 million. Roku came in at 764. That's a miss of 5% gross profit. They were expecting 394 million, they came in at 355, that was a miss. Gross margin was expected 49, they came in 46.5%, that was a miss. So they missed on revenues, platform revenues, player, gross profit, gross margin, adjusted EBITDA, adjusted EBITDA margin, adjusted EPS, ARPU, and they missed big on guidance, they guided 22.4% down from consensus, 27.9% down on gross profit. 400% down on adjusted EBITDA and 153% down on net income. What's Uh, left? Nothing. They've guided (laughs) for around 3% revenue growth. Uh, which oh. for something like Roku is just not enough, so I pulled out some stats and for the people watching the video I'll just flick them on screen for you, but um, Roku's active accounts is, is growing like you'd want it to grow. Uh, it's on that steady uptrend uh, It's ARPU is on that steady uptrend as well. It's on $44 um, From from the customer side of it what you're extracting from the customer it, it looks pretty good so I watched Brian Stoffel did a pretty decent review of Roku. He's pretty fair of it. He said, uh, and a quote: "The results for advertising companies like Google, like Snap, and like Roku shows me that there's a hierarchy, and I think I agree with that." So we we've discussed before, Steve, that um, there's like discretionary and staples when it comes to marketing spends, uh, very much like there is in retail spending, and and that has become really apparent to me uh, during this this downturn where where people have sort of been moving away from your your and moving away from your snaps and putting it into the more established uh, uh, marketers who they know from previous um, from previous campaigns that they can get a return on so I had a look at just why Roku like has just missed so quickly it all seems to have happened like last last time's earnings were fantastic so so one of the reasons this has happened is that to differentiate itself, Roku is actually allows its advertisers to cancel their campaigns with only forty-eight hours' notice. So I had a look around everywhere else, and the industry standard is anywhere between about a month and twelve months. So this means that, like Roku's revenue, is like a, a really uh, real indicator of the current advertising landscape. So in poor times this is going to like just shoot up and you're going to think this is amazing. But in worst times, like people can literally cancel advertising on a whim, which is great for people who are advertising, but not so great for shareholders. So, Look, I've exited this position. Uh, I took my licks on this one. I think this is too risky now, uh, having found that uh, stat out. I, I would never even thought to have looked for it because, uh, yeah, I just wouldn't expect to have 48 hours. That's the idea of having... Uh, a little bit more comprehensive look into and understanding how how the business runs. I guess I, I've just totally missed it. I think I, Roku at the moment is a B-tier advertiser that has the potential to become an A-tier advertiser. But I don't want to be in a B-tier advertiser when people are pulling advertising out of the market, and that is essentially what Roku uh, Roku's whole business is built on.
0: That's really, really interesting. So I was uh, listening to something the other day on basically the evolution of kind of marketing from... Uh, paper impression through to a paper transaction, basically, and so on. And you see the risk gradually, gradually, gradually shift over to the kind of platform provider, where uh, the kind of advertiser says, "Look, um, I'll pay you per. Uh, first of all, just for space, then for impressions, then for clicks, then for um, transactions, and so on." I, it's a bold move from Roku, right? Uh, if they can, really. if they can make it work, uh, offering you the flexibility to say, "Look, if you don't want us to run your ad, just give us forty-eight hours' notice, and we're done." rather than having that kind of tied up and and locked in um is their balance sheet any good in a kind of downturn this is where you start worrying right about companies that uh, put themselves under pressure in this sort of situation if they've got debt that they need to service then they need to not find too many of their stuff getting cancelled
1: it's a fairly robust balance sheet um i think um I think they'll be just fine going through this. I think what's going to happen is, is that essentially growth is going to peter out to absolute nothing. Um, Essentially, you're going to end up with the low margin revenue from the Roku sticks and a little bit from the advertisers that, that, that choose to stick around. But that there is what also worried me about pins as well, is that Roku presented to me an environment where I think BTA slash experimental marketers are, are experiencing a slowdown. Roku evidently has shown me that, uh, and they're projecting that it's going to continue for the next quarter as well. Which made me look at Pinterest straight away and go, "Oh, you could be in serious trouble too." The difference being is that uh, Pinterest is a much fairer valuation than than something like Roku. But yeah, they uh, well, I, I'm I Pinterest reports on August 26th. Like we'll find out very soon. But I just worry at the moment for for stocks like that.
0: Mm. so uh, just jumping in very quickly then we'll turn what was going to be a longer one into a shorter one because i'm looking at the clock and we're approaching three quarters of an hour with our kind of quick news uh for the moment but meta platforms which is probably an a-tier advertiser they've had some issues trying to uh attract people lately as a result of apple although they announced that they're attempting to use some ai to get around that a little bit that's probably a work in progress they're probably an a-tier advertiser they also got um Uh, reported some kind of cyclical dropping uh, this time. Their revenues for the group were down 1%. Their earnings were down 36%, which is not good to see. You don't like to see, if you're a shareholder like I am, you don't want to see your company making less than it did before, either in uh, revenue or in profit. And if it's meta, okay, that stock has come down quite a way. It's in quote-unquote value territory, where I think it has a sort of lowish double-digit price-earnings ratio. You can probably use that price-earnings ratio for valuation because it doesn't have any debt. Um, the real question then when I look at it becomes, is this a sign that something's going wrong with the business or is it a sign that it's just a kind of softness in the kind of advertising space like we saw from Snap and Twitter and so on, kind of forecasting a little bit? And my answer is probably that it's a sign of softness in the advertising space uh, for what it's worth, mostly because they offer you kind of four metrics for tracking users and what's going on on their platform. Uh, At the moment then, given that their struggles around targeting advertising, their sheer size is going to be their kind of um, proposition to advertisers. It's going to be, we can get your stuff in front of lots of people, uh, which means that they need high user numbers. And their user numbers are high, even if they're down or up slightly uh, either way around. They offer you kind of for metrics. They offer you kind of daily and monthly active users for Facebook, the Blue app, and the family of apps as a whole, so including WhatsApp and Instagram everything's up slightly apart from the monthly active users on Facebook Um, so it tells me that there's still a kind of biggish proposition there that things aren't particularly going backwards Uh, even though there's less money coming through the door that's probably to do with sort of macroeconomic softness in advertising rather than a sign that any of the platforms are particularly uh, sliding backwards although we may see more of that in the future I guess Um, Steve what are you googling there? I was just looking at uh, seeing if I
1: could find Amazon's uh, marketing division and just see, um, just to get the exact numbers for how much it grew. Um, That was uh, posed to me as the sort of main issue for Facebook's uh, is marketing is that Google and Amazon are literally showing you an advert for something you searched for, whereas Facebook is trying to figure out what you want mm-hmm. or chase you down with something you wanted previously. Um, and I know that Amazon, in that regard, is very, very difficult to compete with because, you know, it's an active uh, search yeah. rather than, than than passive. So uh, that would be the main reason I would think that Facebook's advertising uh, ha- has slipped somewhat.
0: Yeah, I said to you in um, chat just after the uh, uh, the earnings from Meta, and it speaks to Roku as well, right? Roku you can think of as, I guess, a sort of almost leveraged version of something like this in that it will go up more and down more uh, than anything in the good times and the bad times. But uh, obviously I kind of knew this deep down, but one of the things that I'm taking away from this earnings season is just how cyclical some things that are not officially cyclicals are. So something like Meta Platforms, uh, slower economy, businesses pulling in marketing spend. Yeah, less money comes in through meta platforms as doors. That's really, really obvious uh, when it comes to it. But I had thought of it as more of a kind of, maybe not kind of straight line or linear or something like that, but a sort of fairly steady growth story. And it, uh, I'm reminded at this point, and the same is true with um, Google, actually more on that in a second, that, yeah, these things are not immune to macroeconomic um, shifts they will do better in good times and worse in bad times maybe sort of less dramatically uh, than some other ones but there's still definitely cyclicality there uh, to pay attention to and you know sometimes it's just important to be reminded of really obvious things that i sort of knew deep down but kind of forgot i think
1: uh, i've noticed there's been quite a, a, a sort of turning up of the heat on zuckerberg's um metaverse spending i think a lot of people think he's maybe taking his eye off the ball and that's potentially why Facebook is, is slipping in the way that it has. And obviously Instagram recently has come to some criticism from the, uh, um, the Kardashians. I think it mm. was, wasn't it? Who said that it's getting too much like TikTok? And, uh, they asked about that in the end. I did see that. And in, in response, they said that, you know, we've taken that feedback on board, but, generally the future we're heading towards is short form video uh we'll still support photos but short form video will be will be the future so uh, just generally do you have any quick thoughts on that steve before we move on i thought metaverse is i think zuckerberg's been very clear about that he's going to spend a hell of a lot of money on this and he doesn't know whether it's going to work or not he thinks it's going going to work obviously but he's not telling you with any certainty and secondly about the direction of instagram if you're at all interested in that
0: I'm not interested in the Kardashians as a general rule. However, uh, it's one thing for me to be sneery about them in the sense that I don't want to follow them on Instagram because I'm not particularly celebrity enthusiastic. But um, as a meta-platform shareholder, I am aware that you know the popularity of the products I have is partly slave to them uh, and that they have a genuine... Um, uh, meaningful impact on the kind of uh success of our platform so actually we need to take this stuff really quite seriously Uh, the kardashians are significant in terms of uh instagram and so on even if you know i don't view them as sort of central to the running of the business in a certain way
1: (laughs) uh so yeah i've got um some pretty interesting stats on google um i thought their ratings were pretty good to be honest um revenue came in at just under 70 billion it was up 13 percent year on year net income 16 billion that was actually down 14 percent um uh, year on year free cash for just 12.6 billion Steve 23% uh, down year on year um, services revenue was up 10%, ad revenue was up 12%, search revenue up 14%, YouTube revenue up just 5%, which again is showing you weakness of the advertising, network revenue up 9%, and cloud revenue was up 36%. Um, some particular highlights, the earnings call is really worth a listen, three analysts in a row trying to get Ruth, uh, CFO Ruth Porat, to give them a guide on how Alphabet sees the economy, and Ruth just keeps batting it back with, that's your job. Um, so my thoughts are, The growth looks like it's slowing on the face of it, but I think these figures are lapped with some absolutely crazy quarters um, uh, in comparison. Google don't give you any guidance, so uh, it's hard to see exactly what they're thinking. Um, They advise that the margins might look somewhat reduced, but it's an unlucky lap with some um, significant data center investments. Some interesting new stuff coming. 3D search in YouTube. No idea how that's going to work. A Shopify... It got mixed up then. I was going to call it Shopify. Tie. That's, that's a good business for selling ties. Um, but yeah, so, so anyway, a Shopify partnership with YouTube, help, helping creators more easily sell their goods. And they signed off for some pretty interesting YouTube facts, which, you know, if we were in fair weather and uh, you wanted to apply these to what Roku's trying to do, it kind of helps explain it. But um, they said that. YouTube remains well positioned to deliver the reach, results, and relevance that advertisers need. Uh, That YouTube's uh, click-through rate effectiveness is actually 3.1 times better than that of TV. You would expect that. I would assume, being in physically in your hand. Um, 73% of campaigns on YouTube drove substantial lift in brand and unbranded searches. Uh, and Viewers were up to 14 times more likely to search for something that they had seen on YouTube than something that they hadn't. So uh, I thought Google's endings were pretty good, Steve. Anything you want to advance on that? no not
0: really i mean there's a couple of general points about google here i mean when i look for these earnings i'm not particularly fussy about the exact number versus the exact expected number partly because i apart from stealing other people's stuff whether it's management or analysts or whatever don't really have a view on exactly how much money i expect them to make in any given quarter i'm not that fine-grained on this sort of thing What I do expect is for the business to keep doing what it does. And the reason I own Google is because I think it's a cash machine Um, and just basically the kind of Google stuff is a a cash machine. Alphabet, I heard someone complaining the other day that it is very much not a diversified operation. Um, It comes all out of its kind of Google stuff. They are busy building out the kind of uh, institutional side of things. Sure. Um, I think there's kind of puts and takes for that, for what it's worth. Here's a feature of uh, a good thing about being undiversified, and it maybe speaks to Amazon in a second. But if you diversify Google stuff with another kind of income stream or revenue stream, it's likely to be lower margin, likely to be lower quality. So now do you want your kind of high quality operation being diluted by lower quality stuff? Genuine question. Uh, maybe the diversification's worth it. But I do think there's a case to be made here for thinking in the way I think about it is... Actually, I'm quite happy with what is a very, very strong business, and let's not pollute that with weaker stuff. If we had other stuff, I'd be more in favor of spinning it out again, to be honest.
1: Yeah, there were some interesting things coming along. Um, The the data centers, for me, they're growing at at quite a rapid rate. They, They did a lot of talk about the tools... Um, and their investments into computer science um that they're doing basically to help grow the features on on google cloud they also talked a little bit about waymo that that now has a license to operate in um mm. in, a, in a i can't remember what jurisdiction it was in but uh it does have a license to operate which is strange because tesla's supposed to win that race and it's now third uh and they're at, not officially either um but yeah i just thought it was uh uh just this is just Google, isn't it? This is just what Google do. They they're the they're the kings of marketing.
0: Yeah, I sort of in principle refuse to listen to any of the stuff about Waymo because I refuse to treat it as part of my kind of investment thesis because there was a time when it was just so much of people's investment thesis, about a year or so, eighteen months ago, uh, when there was the kind of when EVs were really, really kind of in vogue and nearly all of them were going public via SPAC and so on. Um, but yeah Waymo appears to be making good progress I'm not an expert in this kind of thing I stay well away from the auto sector generally if I can help it Um, it strikes me as a market I don't massively want to be in but it would be a nice bonus uh, if Waymo did something good here okay um, let's talk about things then that are also very good businesses attached to well less good businesses or at least in terms of efficiency anyway we have different views on Amazon I think but Amazon done good. Uh, Amazon pushing our portfolios along today, Steve.
1: Yeah, definitely. It's had a uh, a pretty decent looking uh, earnings report. I think people were very worried about Amazon because uh, they were expecting its marketing to struggle. They were expecting um, its retail arm to struggle, especially with Prime Day not being in these figures. We know Prime Day was good, um, but we know that that's actually in in the previous month um and and it, and it just delivered uh, i mean revenues grew at, at 10% in constant currency at 7% when you adjust it down year on year which is really good when you consider the size of amazon's company and how much it grew last year Um, This was a 2% beat on consensus. Uh, Sales grew and beat in America, declined a little bit in the EU. Some of this is currency, some of this is pockets being uh, squeezed. Um, AWS was a monster, brought in 20 billion of sales just in the quarter. That gives it an 80 billion run rate, up 33% year on year. It's still a trillion dollar business if they spin that out. Um, they beat consensus on gross profit, gross margin, operating income, operating margin. So, you know, to me, that that's a decent quarter, Steve.
0: Yeah, it features another bit of Rivian write-down um, stuff for the stock that they own. The, again, there was more of this last quarter, and there's uh, a little bit more this time around. They're not the same business at all, but this is similar to the Teladoc thing, uh, just in terms of investments that have at least in terms of the balance sheet uh, gone bad uh, in a certain way. So there was that to keep your eye on, and it sort of makes the EPS number look lower. And I like Amazon because I think it trades on a sort of funny PE ratio. It's now trading on something like 48 times next year's Mm. or something like that. Uh, And it's it's very difficult to buy a stock that's just gone up 12% at the best of times, right? Just psychologically. Um, Mm. It's even more difficult, I think, uh, which is i think been the case for both of us to buy a stock that's gone up 12 percent, and you've gone from red to green on it um yeah, just uh, in in the course of it making that move and yet i still sort of think if i didn't own the stock i might be buying it at these levels yeah i agree I agree
1: completely. Yeah, it's strange, isn't it? Because I'm essentially back to zero, which means this is the price I bought it at. And I'm sat looking at it thinking, maybe it'll get cheaper. <laughs> you know, I bought £6,000 worth of Amazon shares and now I'm I'm like 1% up. I'm thinking, oh, better sit on this one for a while. Yeah, it's a strange. The mentality of investing is completely like you, you, you have to almost const- constantly punch yourself in the head. Um, so I pulled out a couple of extra things Steve, I didn't know what you saw, Uh, we got 2% dilution year over year, uh, an Mm. extra 200 million shares in the bank I saw that um, shipping costs quite interestingly now for uh, if you strip out AWS uh, it's now nearly 20% of of the revenue, which is quite a lot uh, for shipping costs, Uh, it was only 8.7% back in 2012 so yeah, that's gone up a lot, but I tend to think if we could strip out the fuel, or we could strip, you know, strip the fuel back down to the prices, the prices that it was. I wonder if we've hit the top. Um, it would be, it would be particularly interesting to see. Yeah, I've got the notes on Rivian too that you had, Steve. Uh, I think three point nine billion right down on equity. Um, nobody cares about that. Uh, the guidance was good, Steve. Um, 125 mm. billion to one hundred and thirty billion. I reckon they know a lot of that is already in from Prime Day. Um, that thing that indicates growth of about 13% to sort of 17% year over year in my calculations. And uh, that included um, uh, that they're they anticipating more unfavorable effects as well. Uh, operating income uh was was expected to be between zero and three and a half billion which is like the widest range i've ever seen um and yeah it looked pretty good i pulled a couple of things out of the um they do a highlights page on on the uh, earnings statement i pulled out uh essentially five four four things that I, i was quite interesting so um prime um Members worldwide shopped more and saved more this Prime Day than any other Prime Day event, purchasing over 300 million items and saving more than 1.7 billion. Uh, So they were purchasing, apparently we were purchasing 100,000 items a minute and the best selling categories were Amazon devices, their own devices, consumer electronics, home and uh, Amazon devices itself had a record-breaking Prime Day, selling more devices than any other Prime Day. Um, they announced that in California, they now have a license to do Prime Air. They're going to do drone deliveries. Essentially, uh, you have an option to receive a free and fast drone delivery on thousands of items, and uh, the largest selection of items ever will be available on the drone delivery. Um, some interesting stuff on their walkout technology, Steve. I don't know if you've ever come across this. You you go into the store, you put the palm oh, yeah. of your hand over the yeah, yeah. over the thing, and then you can pick up all the items that you want to pick up, and you can walk out of the store and uh, mm-hmm. and it charges you on the way out um they're open now uh <clears throat> there's a walk sorry they've opened stores at the t-mobile park in seattle um the hudson Nonstop store in nashville international airport and they're opening three new stores in texas a&m kyle field airport this year um looks pretty interesting 12 more amazon fresh stores open um so there was a huge list of highlights from from Prime Day and from AWS but I would encourage you to to go and check them out uh, if you if you're interested.
0: Yeah, Brick and Mortar retail did pretty well for them actually their kind of um physical stores which is not what you associate Amazon with at all but the e-commerce stuff is always interesting to me. You mentioned the kind of air delivery thing and that to me is really quite important actually so I've always said I think of Amazon as kind of like a Costco, right? So margins are going to be very low. And we know margins are low on Amazon's retail thing. But they're low at Costco too. They're basically non-existent at Costco. Costco makes money by having people just give them their money so they can go and shop there. Uh, And Amazon attempts to do the same thing with Prime, I guess. But if you're going to be able to do that, you need some sort of hook that is going to make people pay you just for the purpose of buying it from you. uh, For the privilege, sorry, of buying it from you. And in Costco, it's going to be... It's cheaper than anywhere else. Don't even bother looking around. We're selling it to you cheaper than they are. Just give us your money and come buy it. In Amazon's case, I think it has to be, we're going to get it to you faster uh, than anybody else can. Um, And being first onto AirDrop or something like that, or first on walkout Technology, so on and so forth, um, that's going to be the kind of thing that is going to make people effectively just give them their money for nothing in terms of just a Prime membership to uh, have that kind of convenience there. So... Um, I think if this was spun out we feel slightly differently about it I would keep the retail thing I kind of like it like that as a sort of Costco-y thing it's on a big multiple probably I haven't actually worked it out but so is Costco Um, you kind of much prefer the AWS stuff and would probably recycle the e-commerce stuff into the web services business
1: potentially but I have started to see quite a bit of value in the marketing arm of Amazon so Mm. I I would be intrigued to see where that part of the business ends up Um, but I think um, I think I think they're all uh, within themselves, There's merits to all parts of the business, but AWS is the jewel in the crown for me.
0: Yeah, I think that's definitely true. That's the kind of flywheel that every um, really, really successful massive business has. Um, okay, that that crosses let's us do. the hour. Um, oh, go on, Steve. Let's do let's do the last three because I'll race. Yeah, you them. want to go for them? Okay. Let's so on me. the subject of e-commerce for the moment, then,
1: um, Steve, tell us about Etsy. Uh, Etsy, um, I would describe as a very reliable kind of tech stock. Um, revenues came oh. in 5% above consensus to beat marketplace and services revenue. Adjusted EBITDA um, came nearly 17% over um, consensus. EBITDA margin came 281 basis points over uh, over a consensus and they guided just a little bit below and, and they guided for a stronger EBITDA margin. So Etsy did really well the day after their earnings. It was up about 8%. For me, that just looked like, um, uh, you know, the company that's continuing to perform.
0: Yeah, that's a really interesting stock. I kind of like Etsy and I sort of want to see it run a little bit more. I, I'm torn on this one, right? I want to see it go a little bit longer and prove itself to be durable in a kind of downturny economic thing and see what happens there. But I also am conscious that if I wait for it to do that, it may well be out of sight uh, mm. by the time I get a chance to do that. Um, so another one that
1: uh, reported in that sort of uh, in this window was Spotify. Um, it's been mm-hmm. quite uh, sort of largely overlooked. I think it was on Tuesday uh, lunchtime. It reported uh, revenue up twenty three percent to two point nine billion euros. Gross profit up six percent to seven hundred and four euros. Uh, the margin was down just a little bit year over year. Um, EBIT. <laughs> minus 194 uh million euros uh free cash flow though 37 million uh up nine percent year over year that's about a one percent margin couple of stats i caught pulled out um of the um earnings call uh, they think they're going to have a billion users by 2030 they didn't actually give you the mix of premium and not but they think they'll they'll be able to attract a billion users and that's actually the ninth straight quarter in a row that spotify have generated free cash flow which is pretty impressive for a for a company uh, of of that kind of size obviously they they they're discounting the via, um stock based compensation here but free cash flow is free cash flow i guess
0: yeah, it is. And it's the thing that people are all kind of very keen on talking about at the moment with sort of interest rates going up and it being harder to borrow. A Real emphasis on positive free cash flow if you want to kind of be down the the growthier end of things, which I guess Spotify counts as. It's probably still a Cathy Wood stock. I never really know exactly what Cathy Wood owns at any given moment, even though that stuff is publicly available. But um, encouraged by Spotify then?
1: Pretty much, yeah. I think... Um... Uh, they're getting to the kind of numbers now of premium subscribers, which uh, where Netflix started to be tripped up. Uh, but the the beauty of Spotify, I guess, is that they offer the longer free trial. Plus, they offer um, the crap the crap ad supported version, which everybody hates, and um, uh, and a real reluctance to increase the prices. So it would be interesting to see just how Spotify's premium subscribers, if they can drive through that that kind of like where Netflix has got caught up a little bit and, and see where they end up.
0: Okay. Um, let's uh, go last one. Then you were looking at caring and I was not surprised by what you found on this, but do tell, uh,
1: caring had a very, very good first half, um, group revenue was at 9.9 billion euros, which is up 23% year on year, uh, 16%, uh, like for like currency. Um, operating profit was 2.8 billion euros up 26% uh, operating margins at 28.4% all of this while Russia's locked out of the market uh, China is pretty much locked up in the homes um, Kering said that in their report Gucci, which is their largest brand uh, was essentially flat, only up 4% it's pretty big in China it was pretty big in Russia so that explains that uh, exciting times ahead I guess if China curbs COVID quickly San Laurent grew sales 42% Bottega 18% um, I don't actually know how to pronounce it is it Bottega? Could I be,
0: would have you know. pronounced it the way you first pronounced it which means okay. that since I'm as much of a Philistine as you it's probably different
1: yeah, and there was also um, Alexander McQueen, Balenciaga, Boucheron, and There, They're their other little fashion houses. They grew at nearly 32%. Uh, they've bought back 650,000 shares, about 0.5% of their outstanding. They're going to generate about $4 billion in free cash flow this year, so quick baths. Uh, that's about 17 times free cash flow. Uh, fashion conglomerate firing on all cylinders.
0: Hmm. I' not surprised by that one. It's a kind of high end fashion conglomerate as well, right? So mm-hmm. uh, I did see in the week uh, the LVMH done pretty well, and I saw, sort of associate those as aiming at the same kind of target market. So just to kind of finish where we started, I guess a little bit stuff like carrying stuff like LVMH gives you a feel for how the sort of high end uh, consumer is doing, and things like um, Dollar General or that kind of thing, I suppose, give you a feel for how the kind of I want to say lower end, but um, uh, you know people who shop kind of down towards the more price conscious um, uh, end of things are doing so keeping an eye on those gives you a feel for how different parts of the economy are kind of moving Uh, LVMH and Kering are both fairly international right with their kind of brand power but um, I guess that's a reason for being interested in these stocks even if you don't own them as I don't own either of these you own Kering Steve
1: I do. I actually doubled my position on the back of the earnings as well. Quite begrudgingly because they shot up a little bit, but uh, I just thought they were very <laughs> impressive earnings report. And I don't think, as much as it is difficult to average up, I don't think that price is particularly
0: egregious. Mm. I'm intending to have a look at something in this space. I was impressed by LVMH uh, for what it was worth as well. But uh, that's our show. Um, we didn't really do the quick earnings and the slower earnings. We sort of did the quick earnings and then even more quick earnings, even though they weren't really that quick. Um, Thanks for listening anyway. Uh, We'll be back hopefully next week with Paul and probably yet more earnings. But if something else important happens, we'll let you know about it. Uh, If there's anything you want us to talk about, let us know in the comments and we'll see you next time.